0: Welcome to On The Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host... Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. This is On The Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the new Fox Sports app. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buker. I'm a lot of places... there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Apologies that I left all of you hanging for a day, especially those of you who have made me a part of your morning routine. The combination of having a piece to write for foxsports.com in my added role as an NBA national writer and being unexpectedly called upon to co-host Speak for Yourself forced me to punt on the podcast. I know it may look as if our conversations are just, well, conversational on TV, but talking about nine different topics over two hours does require a bit of forethought, research, and planning. We're also all competitive, and while we may not always succeed in not looking dumb or sounding dumb, none of us wants to. As a result, I just didn't have time to produce a podcast at the usual hour. The good news is that, as a result, I not only have a better episode for you here, but I'm going to drop another one for the weekend that plays off the piece that I wrote for FoxSports.com about Zion Williamson and John Morant, and what GM's told me about who they'd pick first today versus back in 2019 when Zion went number one and Ja went second. Do me a solid and check out that piece when you have a chance, especially before you listen to not this podcast, but the next episode. Had I produced this episode 24 hours ago, it would have been exclusively a follow-up to my previous episode, which was all about the step forward the Lakers took in how they closed their overtime win against the San Antonio Spurs. Now, I don't want to make a habit of spending too much time on any one team in any one stretch, even the most popular or meaningful ones. There is a formula in TV, and frankly in every medium these days, to play the hits, as they say. It's the same reason you hear the same hot song played three times an hour on your radio. Because there's clear evidence that a lot of people love that song. That's why it's hot. When you wonder why every outlet talks about LeBron at every opportunity, it's because he's both loved and hated, which doubles the audience. Either way, they are without question passionate enough, those factions of loving him and hating him, that is, that they will tune in to anything involving him. I am committed to talking about what I consider the most important Or interesting topics in the NBA, even if they're not a guaranteed click or large number of eyeballs. If that means talking about the Charlotte Hornets or the Sacramento Kings, then I will. That said, if those teams are sucking air, it's going to take a really interesting topic to make them part of it. But I have to come back to the Lakers, as well as the Bulls and Knicks who just faced each other, because of what we just saw from them and how it reflects on what I've said about them here just recently. With the Lakers, they immediately and shockingly gave back all they gained in the win against the Spurs 24 hours later with a loss to the previously winless Oklahoma City Thunder, losing 123-115. After taking a 41-19 first quarter lead, they demonstrated every single flaw that comes with being an old team stocked with isolation scorers. Most of them past their prime. The flaws, that are the reason I have never considered them the team to beat in the Western Conference. Their ball movement and player movement in the first quarter was a little topsy-turvy, which you would expect from players still getting to know each other. But it was there, and it was far too much for the Thunder to handle obviously. But this is the problem when you're old, playing in a league where methodical isolation play does not work. It hasn't worked for years, at least not to the level that the Lakers aspire to. Yes, it worked not that long ago for the Houston Rockets, but that was with a James Harden in his prime. The Lakers' isolation players are not that, and no Anthony Davis is not an isolation player. Not the kind who carries you on a regular basis. There is no debate on that because he simply hasn't done it. This isn't the 90s. Especially if you can't defend. And the Lakers can't. Let's just look across the board. After Anthony Davis, there isn't a quality defender on the team. Particularly on the perimeter. Russ Westbrook, subpar defender. Rajon Rondo now a subpar defender. Carmelo Anthony, subpar defender. DeAndre Jordan, subpar defender, otherwise he'd still be in Brooklyn. Kent Bazemore, average defender. Malik Monk, at best, average defender. Avery Bradley made his name as a defender, but at this point, that was then and this is now. Austin Reeves, seriously subpar defender. I don't know if Dwight Howard can still defend, but when there's no resistance on the perimeter, and he's approaching his 36th birthday, he assuredly can't move well enough to cover up the deluge of wings and point guards that are running rampant in the paint. Now, at times, the Lakers are not bad on their initial effort, but there is rarely a second and a third, which, again, is what you'd expect when you have a group of mid-30-somethings on the floor. At some point, a pair of those old legs, and it just takes one, is going to be slow to rotate or to recover. The compensation is to not press up in order to avoid getting beat and needing help. Take a screenshot when the Lakers are defending on the perimeter. Against the Oklahoma City, just about every one of them was inside the arc, even the guy on the ball. The Thunder came into the game as the second worst three-point shooting team in the league, but give almost any player time to set their feet and a clear look at the rim, and they're capable of knocking down a three, which is why the Thunder shot 40% against the Lakers from long distance. Should it really be a surprise that after coming into the game averaging 94 points, the Thunder scored 123 against the Lakers, 99 in the last three quarters? The same applies to the offensive end player movement and ball movement requires energy. The dirty little secret behind the Lakers saying they needed Westbrook for his energy is that LeBron is at a point in his career when he can't always play with energy or summon it whenever he wants, and AD simply doesn't. The hope was that Westbrook playing like a madman would inspire AD, and so far that has not happened. Westbrook's energy also isn't the most productive kind. You've heard the saying, don't just work hard, work smart. Russ always works hard. He doesn't always work smart. The Lakers also don't do any of the little things well, as again was evident in the Thunder game, because they're asking a load of stars to do the little things, little things they've never been asked to do on a regular basis. You expect Mello and Russ to suddenly become good screen setters when they've never been asked to do that before in their careers? You want the Lakers stars, who inevitably will have the ball in their hands at the end of games, to make pressure free throws when outside of Mello, they haven't been doing that the last few years? You want them to take care of the ball with the game on the line when high turnover rates has been part of their games for years? Why would anyone think that all these guys would suddenly start playing a different style with a different degree of efficiency just because they're playing together? Peer pressure? I said it in the last podcast. I want the Lakers to be relevant because the league is more interesting and the drama is heightened if they are. But what I want and what I know them to be are hard to reconcile, as has been made Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It was fascinating to watch the Bulls and Knicks face off and watch everything I thought defined them collide. As I noted about the Bulls' 4-0 start, it was against some of the worst teams in the league. The Knicks are not that. If the Toronto Raptors can bully the Bulls, you knew Tom Thibodeau's disciples would. And they absolutely pounded them on the boards, 49-37, including 11 offensive rebounds. I noted that size could be a problem for the Bulls, and indeed it was, especially after Patrick Williams went out early in the third quarter with a left wrist injury from a hard foul by Mitchell Robinson on Williams' dunk attempt. Down the stretch... That left the Bulls with Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball trying to defend Julius Randle in the post. That's 6'4", 186-pound Alex Caruso and 6'6", 190-pound Lonzo Ball trying to defend 6'9", 250-pound Julius Randle in the post. They actually gave an admirable effort. Randle didn't exactly stuff them in the basket but they repeatedly fouled him, resulting in Randall getting seven of his 13 points at the free throw line and grabbing 16 rebounds. I mentioned that Zach Levine had never won four games in a row in his career, and then that learning how to handle winning can be as hard as learning how to handle losing, which is that you treat them both the same as motivation to do better the next time out. There are a lot of cliches that are nonetheless an accurate description of the necessary mindset and approach for a winning team but saying it and understanding how to do it especially at the pro level are two distinctly different things Levine is somewhat new to being a star as well particularly on a team that wants to be taken seriously and he did not handle the Bulls falling behind by double digits to the Knicks and his inability to do anything about it very well it still boggles my mind that Levine had never experienced winning four games in a row before in, in his career. And this is his eighth season in the NBA. But that's where he and the Bulls are. Now, sorting out how the Bulls handle end the game situations reared its head as well. I talked about how I believe Levine has to become that guy in that situation to decide what they do because he's the most overall talented scorer they have. Head coach Billy Donovan clearly believed A, the Knicks were thinking the same thing, and B, that Zach isn't ready for that role because he put the ball in DeMar DeRozan's hands and used Zach as a decoy with a fake dribble handoff. or. Maybe he saw how Levine was out of sorts in the fourth quarter and tried to force the referees to blow the whistle and get to the line without success. Maybe Levine is of the belief that his acceptance as one of the league stars, in part by being a member of the gold medal winning U.S. team in Tokyo and getting decent playing time, has earned him that kind of cred. Or maybe it's that he was named an all-star last year for the first time. But none of that has particularly against a team coached by Tom Thibodeau, who is an expert at frustrating a team's best player in a way that doesn't generate fouls. In any case, the DeRozan play didn't work. He airballed a mid-range jumper after double-clutching it, and that was it. Nikola Vucevic didn't help by cutting to the corner on DeRozan's side of the floor, bringing his defender with him for some unknown reason. This is what happens with players who have not been part of consistently winning programs. Vucevic set up for a three when they were only down by one. Of course, it never should have come to that. But as I've mentioned, for all that Tibbs knows about defense, his offense remains incredibly rudimentary. He closed the game looking to Kemba Walker and Randall to win it by essentially going one-on-one. They were ahead by 13 with less than three minutes to play and didn't score again. Walker burned the shot clock on their second to last possession just trying to get a step on Caruso and he was actually lucky to get a shot off although it had no chance of going in. On the Knicks' last possession, Randall bricked two free throws that opened the door for the Bulls to win with a made basket and 4.8 seconds to get it. Watching how the Bulls and Knicks evolve in these situations will dictate what they will be once the playoffs roll around, regardless of what their regular season record is. Because the teams that win series know exactly what they want to do in last-second possessions, and they have an earned confidence that what they want to do works. Well, it may not work always, but with a high enough degree of success... That everyone on the floor believes if they do their part, they can get the desired result. It's where the regular season does matter, especially for developing teams like the Knicks and Bulls. And that's what we get to watch, to see how they develop, whether they develop, and who does the developing. Alright, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I am going to talk about fans clamoring for the number one pick, to get the number one pick, and how if you look at not only the history of number one picks, but you take into account what the GMs told me about the dilemma in the 2019 draft with Zion and John Morant, and all the outside forces that influence actual picks, you'll rethink the idea that getting the number one pick in a draft is some sort of panacea for all of a team's ills. You may start thinking, we just want to be in the lottery and we want to have a smart GM who is able to do what he thinks he and his scouts think is best in finding that player that is going to take them to the next level. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.